morning. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church. It is good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, if you came here wondering if you are worthy, we did not sing about you, uh, and we're not going to answer that question except that you've probably already figured out the answer is no, you're not worthy. We have gathered to worship the one who is worthy, who is Jesus. Uh, thank you for uh, those responsive readings and uh, the songs that went along with them. It will very much lead into our passage this morning. Uh, before we jump into the passage this morning, I just want to make sure we understand some of the big themes of the Bible, ultimately the big theme of the Bible. We've seen kind of the end of the story in Revelation 5. We've read about it together, but uh, just a few things in Psalm. Psalm 46, the psalmist writes this, Be still and know that I am God. We could spend some time thinking about that. Be still and know that I am God. Maybe you're familiar with that. That one gets printed on coffee cups every once in a while. Or t-shirts, be still and know that I am God. But do you know what comes after it? God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. And then we just read responsively from Revelation 5 that Jesus Christ by His own blood ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, Psalm 46 and lots of other places in the Old Testament. I just found one that was really, really clear and didn't need a lot of explanation. But God stated, I'm going to make my name known among the nations. And then Revelation 5, we read that His name will be known among all of the nations. Back at the beginning of the book of Acts that we're in the process of studying now as a church, the resurrected Jesus looks at His disciples and he tells them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, You, my disciples, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you're wondering what God is in the process of doing in mankind and in human history, God is in the process of making His name known among the nations through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing. If you're wondering if He's going to make much of you or me or anybody else, that may or may not happen. But we know, we are confident that God is making much of Himself. He is making His name known among the nations through Jesus Christ. That's what He's in the process of doing. It's also clear that God is the primary actor in this. God is the primary actor. So much so that one of the characters in the passage we're going to read here in a second, uh, the Apostle Peter, his primary concern in our passage towards the end is that he not stand in God's way. Like Peter knows, God is making His name known among the nations, and he says, far be it from me to stand in the way of what God is doing. But how does God carry out this mission after Jesus Christ ascends to heaven, right? So Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then He ascended and went back and sat at the right hand of God 
the Father. And so God the Son is not on the earth in a physical, visible presence anymore. So how is God going to continue the mission to make His name known among the nations after Jesus Christ is no longer physically here? How's that happen? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. Quite simply, disciples of Jesus follow Jesus and act as His witnesses in the world. So, the disciples of Jesus, then and now, in Acts and now, disciples of Jesus follow Jesus and act as His witnesses in the world. The focus of our passage today is on some of these witnesses who are witnessing Jesus to the nations. This passage focuses on the imperfect, sinful people that God changes so that He can use them to make His name known to the nations. Not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Not just Jews, but Greek-speaking non-Jews. We're going to see all of that. God changing His people to be sent out on His mission. The title for the sermon this morning is Join the Gospel Advance. The Gospel is advancing. God is making His name known among the nations. How is it that we join into it? Join the Gospel advance. My goal is that you would realize your need to be changed by God so that you can join or further join in with God's Gospel advance. If you have your Bibles, join me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a solid colored one somewhere nearby in a uh, chair rack somewhere nearby. Acts chapter 11, if you're not familiar navigating your way through the Scriptures, uh, if you're in your Bible, they should have a table of contents somewhere at the beginning. If you're in one of those provided Bibles, uh, somewhere about page 635, page 635. Acts chapter 11, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God. I'll stop there. That's what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, uh, Acts chapter 10 gives a really long explaining of what Peter's going to explain here in a second. But they heard, people in Jerusalem heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. Verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, Three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. 
These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So again, the title for the sermon this morning is to join the gospel advance. Again, what we'll see is that if you are to join the gospel advance, join God in His work and what He's doing to make His name known among the nations, if you're going to do that, God will need to change you. God will need to change you. Sinful, imperfect you. So that you can be used for His good purposes. As we work through this passage, we're going to see some individuals and groups who are changed so that they can be used in the gospel advance. We're going to see, we're going to look at four of them. There's actually a couple others I left off because of our 21st century American attention spans. So I left a couple of them off. But we're going to see a hothead become humble. We're going to see hold the liner critics become a hallelujah chorus. We're going to see cautious Pew sitters become creative preachers, and we're going to see a persecutor become a pastor. So first in uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 17, verses 1 through 17, we're going to see a hothead become humble. The Apostle Peter returns to Jerusalem at the beginning of our passage. He returns to Jerusalem after big success on the mission field. Okay, So he's been out and about. He saw the words of Jesus Christ fulfilled in bringing the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. So Jesus had told him, Peter had been there, he told him, I'm going to make my name known among the nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
He figured out, oh, that means to the Gentiles as well. He has seen that happen. A leader in the Roman army, the Roman army occupying at this time, a centurion, a leader in the Roman army named Cornelius, he turned and he placed his faith in Jesus, as did what the text said back in Acts chapter 10. Many persons, Cornelius, as a leader in the Roman army, had gathered a lot of people together to hear what Peter had to say, and those many persons were saved. The story concluded with a mass baptism of all of the new converts. I would say say that's a pretty successful day of ministry. Pretty successful day. Mass conversion, mass baptism in a new group of people that we didn't even expect that the gospel was going to go to. That's That's a good day of ministry. But when Peter gets to Jerusalem, notice verse 2. Some of his fellow Jews instead of celebrating with him, criticize him. And Peter explained what happened in verse 4. He explained what happened in order. If you have a different translation, it may say in an orderly sequence. It may say step by step, some translations say. Right? So something like that. That Peter was criti- big, big ministry success criticism, and Peter explained step by step what had happened and invited them in to celebrate with him. You may say, well, yeah, sure, of course. As we just read it, like, sure, that's what it says. I'm sure that's true. But if if you're familiar with Peter at all, from the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter, responding to criticism in an orderly, seemingly calm fashion, is actually quite shocking. So some of you will recall, it was mentioned in men's breakfast yesterday, if you were here for that. Some of you will recall that Peter is the guy that as Jesus is being arrested, Peter is the guy that A, has a sword. I don't know if it was normal for disciples of a Jewish rabbi to walk around with swords or not, but it seems a little odd to me. But he has a sword. When they come to arrest Jesus, he draws his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, one of the high priest's servants. That's Peter, just a few years previous to this. So perhaps calling Peter a hothead in the Gospels is a little harsh. But if you read the Gospels, I think you'll find that You taking a paragraph about Peter calmly, orderly, step-by-step responding to criticism would be kind of hard to fit in the narrative in the gospel accounts, right? You'd be like, man, where do I fit this Peter being calm? Like he, he of anything else, is is kind of an act first, think later kind of a guy, right? He's like, he's going to talk, he's going to say something, he's going to do something, and they'll think about it. Later, that's the kind of guy that Peter is in the gospel accounts. That's not who we see here in Acts chapter 11. Peter is now restored by Jesus to be one of the apostles. He's a leading apostle, probably the leading apostle. And here he is calmly, humbly responding to criticism by a group of people. I wonder if... Any hotheads in the room? Any just self-professed hotheads? A few honest people, probably a few liars in the room, a few timid people unable to raise their hand in church 
We'll talk about timidity here in a second, but a few hotheads. Yeah. Maybe today we don't walk around cutting people's ears off with swords, but we certainly have our means, don't we? To let the world know that we're angry about something. That we want to lash out against our critics. The go-to things these days tend to be gossip, slander, backbiting. We have traded cutting swords for cutting words. But we are hotheads nonetheless. Don't, don't, don't be like, I didn't cut anybody's ear off with a sword. No, but... Instead, you lashed out on social media or a text or whispered to a friend, ah, oh, that person, that guy. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirits, but a wise man quietly holds it back. That would be a good memory verse for 2020, wouldn't it? It's an election year. Our collective minds are going to be lost, right? We're going to just fight against each other very publicly all year, and then it'll just continue depending on who is elected, right? Be a good memory verse. A fool gives full vent to his spirits, but a wise man quietly holds it back. We need God to change us, we who are hotheads. God advances His gospel not through hotheads who will yell and scream and tell everyone how wrong they are. God advances His gospel through humble servants who patiently explain the work of the Lord. Hotheads, become humble. Become humble. What about those critics though? What about those critics? In verse 18... We see what happens with those critics. We see, and this is the longest of the points, hold the liner critics become a hallelujah chorus. Hold the liner critics become a hallelujah chorus. Keep in mind, this exchange that we've been examining in Acts chapter 11, the first half that we're looking at here, this is happening in Jerusalem. We're going to find out here in a second in verse 19 that there's been a scattering that has taken place. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a second. But there are people, there was persecution that came to Jerusalem and a lot of people, a lot of Christians scattered because of the persecution. And yet here we are in Acts chapter 11, we're several years later, and we're in Jerusalem and there are still Christians there holding the line, right? So they are holding the line, so to speak. They did not scatter. They are holding the line. They're holding down the fort. This is not just any set of Christians, but these are Jewish Christians. They're not just going to hold the line physically. They're going to hold the line theologically as well. They're in Jerusalem, the epicenter of where it all happened. And these are Jewish Christians that have come to believe that they are still to cling to Jewish traditions despite their faith in Jesus Christ. So they see themselves as a subset of Judaism, ones who practice everything that is Judaism, plus they also see that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, but they're clinging to a lot of those traditions, not, not just Old Testament commandments, but just some of the other traditions that have been, been added into Judaism. 
So they were not just holding the line physically, they were holding the line theologically, sometimes the right line, and sometimes, as we see here, the wrong line to hold. So when they hear that Peter has broken a Jewish tradition to not even eat with a Gentile, when he has broken that tradition, they're going to hold the theological line, they're going to confront that, they're going to criticize what he has done. They're going to do that. Thankfully, though, they do hear Peter out. They hear his explanation. They let him say the whole story. He, he makes it a little more concise as he talks about it, but they hear his explanation. And notice the group in verse 2 that is criticizing Peter, those same people in verse 18 silence their criticisms and they glorify God for His saving Gentiles. So those who are holding the line and criticizing anybody who did anything a little bit off, they became a hallelujah, a praise God chorus. That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Critics in verse 2, glorifying God in verse 18. Do you believe that's possible? Do you believe that is possible? You may have walked through those doors as a critic. You may have showed up here and you're, you know, Chris said, if you're looking for a church, we want to give you a book to help you like think about a church. But we don't want you to be here primarily as a critic. Right? Well, they did this good. They did this not good. Right? I saw some trash on the floor over here. I liked that song. I didn't like that song. Right? Don't be here primarily as a critic. You may have walked in those doors primarily a critic. Maybe, of Christ- maybe you've been not just a critic of churches. Maybe you've been a critic of Christianity. Maybe you've been a critic of somebody who gathers with this church and you just want to come see what it's all about so you have more fodder to criticize with. You've seen yourself holding on to traditions that you cling to really tightly, traditions and commitments of men. And that's led you to criticize. Today you can hear of God's power to bring people to Himself and you can come in here as a critic. You could leave here glorifying God. Could come as a critic, leave glorifying God. What about those who are already, you walked in here, and maybe you're a Christian, you're walking with God, you've, you've been faithful this week, maybe you've had like a, a great week or months or whatever of just good things happening, and you see God's hand moving and working, but then there's critics coming against you, and like, what are you doing? How dare you do that? Maybe you've seen that. Do you know that people who criticized you last week could glorify God with you this week? Did you realize that? That somebody who criticized you last week could glorify God with you in the coming week. God is in the business of drastically changing people. That's what He's in the business of doing. Drastically changing people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, 6-ish say that He takes us from death to life. Before Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God makes us alive together in Christ. So those who criticized you last week could glorify God with you this week. Critics, please join with us as we praise God on the mission of God. Those who are being criticized, humbly explain you may just win over a critic to join with you. That would be something, wouldn't it?
So what about this? What about those that scattered, right? So we talked about the hold the liners. Those are in Jerusalem. All right, we're, we're going to hold the line. And so they're trying to figure that out. What's it look like to hold the line physically and theologically and understand what, does, what is this Christianity thing? What about those that scattered, right? So Luke picks up the narrative. He's like, let me tell you about those that scattered. In verses 19 through 21, we see cautious pew-sitters become creative Preachers, cautious pew sitters become creative preachers. As I read in the introduction uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I've quoted it a couple times now. Jesus told his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here we are in Acts chapter 11. We are many years after Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, many years. And I want you to notice that the people who have scattered to go and to proclaim Jesus to the nations, to the ends of the earth, like they're moving away from Jerusalem. There's like maps in the back of your Bible. You can be like, where's Antioch? Like you can look. Jerusalem, Antioch, they've got it on there. Don't go to the patriarch section. Go to the one that says like during the time of the church or Acts or something like that. But we're getting further away from Jerusalem when we get up to Antioch. But they didn't get there by like, oh, Jesus said that some of us need to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth. I'm in Jesus. I'm going to the ends of the earth. That's not how they got to Antioch. How'd they get to Antioch? They got there because there was persecution and they fled. They left the persecution. They didn't hold the line. They fled. They fled for so long and now it's years later. Years later. They've fled from persecution and they've stayed there. And they seem a little cautious at first. That's why I call them cautious. They seem a little cautious. They seem like they're acting in self-preservation a bit. They, they begin to preach Jesus. They are Christians. God grows them into being more creative and more bold in their proclamation. So first they preach to other Jews, people who are like them and believe like them. They preach to Jews as they scatter. But then some of them start to preach to Hellenists. And it's interesting in Acts, that word gets used a little differently. Greek speaking is the big idea of Hellenists. Uh, Alexander the Great, whole history lesson. I'm not the guy for that. Um, but anyway, Hellenists, Greek-speaking, non-Jews, people who are not yet Christians or Jews, but are Greek-speaking. So they, they start to proclaim to them. And surprise, some of the people that they preached to believed in Jesus as well. Right? So they're Jews, they scatter, they're there, they're there for years, they start preaching to Jews, and then they start preaching to others as well. And surprise, some are saved. Right? Those of you that are following along, you're like, no, it doesn't say some are saved. It doesn't say some are saved. Notice verse 21. A great number, a great number, believed and turned to the Lord. So they had lots of ministry success as well. So I want you to know that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the language that the Apostle Paul is going to use later on in the New Testament. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are created for more than just what we're doing right now. Okay, I hope you realize that. 
If you're a Christian, you were created more than just to sit in pews on Sunday morning for an hour and a half-ish and then go on about your week. You were created for more than that. You were created for something else. Your Christianity does not end when you've gotten your spiritual check in the box on Sunday morning. It doesn't doesn't end here. When you walk out of the doors, the work has just begun for the week. The work has just begun. We're only 11 and a half, 12 hours into our week this week. right? We gather on the morning of the first day of the week. God's work is just beginning in your life. It is not ending in your life when you stop here like, whoo, alright, did my check, did my religious thing this week. No, no, no. This is to propel us on to mission for the next six and a half days. And then when we come in and we're spent and we're tired, we come back together this time next week and we get refueled, recharged, worship the Lord together, and we're sent out again. And that's the pattern and that's the rhythm of the Christian life. It's not a surprise that those who forsake the assembling together typically are not on mission the other six and a half days of the week. You don't need to be recharged. You're good. You got it. But if you're expending yourself in the mission of God, you're going to need to be recharged every single week and you're going to gather together and spur one another on in love and good works as we read in Hebrews 10. So they go and they preach and they proclaim and we should do likewise. So we've explored the change that happened back in Jerusalem. We see more of it here. Uh, So we see that they've scattered, they've preached. There's a, a number of people who are coming to the Lord, a great number. Again, in verse 21, it says a great number later on as well. And so there's like these folks who are just kind of kicking up this evangelistic dust There's this change that's happened in Jerusalem where they realize, ah, God's making His name known to the nations. He is proclaiming His name. It looks like Gentiles are being saved as well. And that that continues to manifest itself. And so when the church in Jerusalem in verse 22 through 24, when they hear that the gospel is reaching the Gentiles... They send out Barnabas, and and Barnabas is not the guy that's just like sitting in the corner that they're like, man, we need this guy out of our church. Like, get him out of... Yeah, why don't you go be a missionary, dude? Like, get out... That is not at all. It says that Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. Right? So they sent out a guy who was probably a ministry in the church. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And they sent him out to go help the new Christians in Antioch. They sent a type of a church planter to gather the new Christians together as a church. You'll notice, if you keep reading down the paragraph, that the, the new Christians, the many who turn and believe, later on they're referred to as a church, and then they're referred to as Christians. So they send him to gather together. But I want you to notice what Barnabas does. Barnabas is an interesting figure, but I want you to notice what he does. He goes and he gets Saul. He goes and he gets Saul. So in verse 25 and following, we see that a persecutor becomes a pastor. A persecutor becomes a pastor. So Saul is the guy, if you've been with us, Saul is the guy who was giving approval for the execution of Stephen, 
who was an anoint, a recently appointed servant of the church, the young church there, and he preached a beautiful expository sermon on the Old Testament in Acts chapter 7. And uh, at the end of it, he said, Look, Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, by the way, those of you who are gathered here to listen, you're the ones that killed the Messiah. They didn't like that, and so they stoned him to death. And Saul was the guy giving approval of the execution. They laid his cloaks at his feet, and they're giving approval. And Saul is there giving approval. Then Saul, in Acts uh, chapter 9, at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, Saul departs on a mission. Uh, Not God's mission, though. He's on a mission to stop God's name being known among the nations. He gets letters from the high priest, and the letters give him permission to round up Christians and bring them bound into Jerusalem for either execution or imprisonment. Right, so that's Saul. That's what he's doing. He's persecuting the church at the beginning of Acts chapter 9. He doesn't get very far into his journey as a persecutor though. The resurrected Jesus meets him on the road after Jesus' ascension, comes back, meets Saul on the road, confronts Saul in his persecution, and instead commissions Saul as one of his apostles. It's a miraculous call. It is a clear call that God tells him, you're going to be my instrument, you're going to be my chosen instrument, you're going to stop persecuting, and you're going to be my instrument to proclaim the gospel to the nations. It was big, it was clear, it was obvious. God is going to use Saul in a big way. Saul is one of these guys in the Bible that has a couple names, uh, two names specifically, and so it gets a little confusing. Uh, But Saul, probably his Hebrew name, Paul, probably his Greek or Roman name, had two names. I know it's weird for us, but not that big a deal for them. So if you know him as Paul, and Luke is going to start referring to him as Paul here in chapter 13, that's okay, same guy. God's going to use him in a big way. Okay? Be clear. God is going to use Paul in a big way. But here in verse 25, Saul joins Barnabas to help pastor this church in Antioch. And this is the first significant pastoral responsibility that Saul gets following his conversion. Now, if you were to sit down and read, starting in chapter 9 of Acts to the end of our passage today, it'd probably take you, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, depending on how fast you read. It's not going to take you that long to go from Saul, persecutor, miraculous conversion, you're going to be my instrument. And then in Acts chapter 11, where Paul's actually getting the call, like, come on into the game. I need you to help me pastor this church in Antioch. So because you read it that fast in like 10, 15 minutes or so, and because we're 21st century Americans that expect everything to happen in, a, in an instant as well, you might think, oh, well, maybe it was like a week. Maybe it was like, I don't know, a couple months. Right? Between the conversion until him actually getting an a ministry opportunity as you and I might define it. Guys that sit around and write about this stuff, it's probably about 10 years from his conversion to him pastoring, being a part, fully a part, and ministering in the first church. 10 years. God's process of changing people happens on His timeline. Happens on His timeline, not ours. 
Saul goes from persecutor to pastor, really apostle, super apostle, like I'm, I'm even, like he's, he's the man, right? But it takes years. Years. Some of you, I imagine, have received very clear calls of what the next phase of your life looks like. So you're here and you're, you know, a marine or a sailor or doing something, whatever you're here doing. And you've got a clear call for what's next. Currently, you find yourself in this season of waiting. Right? If that's you, I just encourage you to wait well. There's an active waiting in the Scriptures, right? That we are training, getting ready. I, I, I trust, and there's some writing in the rest of the New Testament that insinuates that Saul is growing, he's learning, he's reaching out to other folks, he's, he's doing ministry in a less official capacity, right? So you should be doing those things, right? It should be an active waiting, a, a time of getting ready. The other warning I'll give you is don't get too comfortable in where you are, right? Sometimes it's like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. Then you get the call and it's like, well, things are actually pretty comfortable here. I got this like regular paycheck coming in. I got a house. I got cars. Like, this is, this is pretty good. Maybe that call wasn't true. So I just want you to understand, if you're in this season of waiting, wait well, grow in your readiness for what is next, and do not get too comfortable for that day that you get called into something, what the next thing is. Now, others of you, you've gotten a clear call, you've been through this season of waiting, God's made it clear to you what's next. Again, I don't know what it is. It's probably not to be a super apostle and write 13 books of the Bible, right? Not, that is not your call. Your call is not to write 13 books of the Bible. I really want to make you repeat that back to me, but we're not going to do that, right? That's not your call. But God maybe has called you just really clearly to something else. And it may be that somehow He's made it clear to you it's time. It's time. Right? Kind of like Barnabas showing up at the door. Saul, man, you got to come with me to Antioch. you got to help me pastor this church. Maybe, that, maybe that's what's happening to you. If that's you, there's only one response. It's very simple. If you have a clear call from God and clear affirmation from a church, the response is clear. It's time to move out. It's time to, time to move out. Some of you, have, the, the response here is, is different for different folks. Some of you have been waffling out there in the breeze, right? You're not a member of a church. You're not on mission with anybody. Nobody could affirm you for ministry because nobody really knows you well enough to know who you really are. So you might need to, the first step for you might be to join with the church. Like, hey, I want to know people and I want people to, I want to be known by people. I want to work through sin. I want to have opportunities to serve. I want to have opportunities to minister. I want to be able to do life with folks. Some of you need to join with this body of believers so that you can participate in the gospel advancement as a group of people. Everything you see in here, there's, there's other people. Barnabas says, this isn't just for me. This is for me and Saul. And then we'll see later on, they raise up other leaders. Right? There's there's always a plurality of people doing things. There's no just one dude out there doing it by himself. Others of you have been with us for a while. You have that clear call. It's time. It may be time for you to move out in the next year, next couple of years. It might be time for us to 
be up here, pray over you, and send you out to go and advance the gospel elsewhere. Advance the gospel elsewhere. Jesus, when He called His first disciples, it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1. He tells them, it's very concise, very clear. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if you understand discipleship and it doesn't include those things, you don't understand discipleship. Because Jesus, in His most concise statement on what it means to be His disciple, it means to follow Him. So if you're just like, I'm, I'm left to figure it out on my own. No, no, no. Follow Jesus. And if you think, well, Jesus called me, that must mean I'm perfect. No. He's going to make His disciples into something else, right? So where He called us is because of His love and His compassion, but then He's going to take us from where we are and grow us into something else. And the ultimate goal of the something else is to be fishers of men, to make God's name known among the nations in wherever and however we find ourselves as a part of that mission. Disciples of Jesus Christ have a mission to get people and bring them into the people of God, that we would be part of the gospel advance, that we would be fishers of men. But for that to happen, we have to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're like, man, I, I got lots of questions I want to follow, but I, I don't know what that means, we want to talk to you, we want to help shepherd you, guide you through that process of what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus, who is this Jesus. We want to be helpful in that. If you're already following Jesus, we have to understand that following Jesus means change. Right? Like, it means that we will change. We have to grow from where we were to where we are going. We have to grow from who we were to become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That Jesus would grow us to be more like Him. We had just a couple examples today. Hotheads. Anger-fueled people. We need to be humble. We need to work things out in a more humble, systematic way. Not just flash off at our anger and give full vent to our anger in our spirit. If you're like a hold-the-liner who like everything is really, really important to you, everything's a closed-handed issue, and you're like, i got to cling to everything, you might need to... And I'm going to critique anybody that disagrees with me on any point of theology or practice or anything else like that. You may need to loosen your hand on some of those things and join with the Hallelujah Chorus that's making God's name known among the nations. You might be cautious. You might be scared. Like most of your decisions are based on fear. And so you're in fear, self-preservation mode. Man, God needs to grow you to be stable steadfast, growing and maturing in the Word. Go and proclaim His name to the nations. Some of you have been persecutors in your past, and you may need to be pastors, missionaries, sent forth from this place. I don't know what God has for you, but I trust that it accords with the Scriptures and the patterns we see in the Scriptures. I love you guys. Let's pray.